Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the 10 Laws Podcast with East Forest. I am East Forest. Thanks for joining us. This week we have a conversation with Hallie Rose. I think you will enjoy it. Uh, She's someone who has her own podcast and she does her own explorations of consciousness and life. And I enjoyed the opportunity to speak and I think you will enjoy being a part of that conversation. I do want to say thank you for subscribing to the podcast if you get a chance or just also doing a five-star review if you haven't done so already on Apple Podcasts. And for everyone who has done a review, thank you. Thank you to Gayan Mudra. You said uh, you were thanking for me bringing Jai onto the show, that you appreciate the conversation, the alternative perspectives, five stars. You betcha. Mountain Marrow also, thank you for giving the written review on iTunes Podcasts. Uh, really appreciate that. Appreciate you guys supporting the show. Hey, we're launching a Patreon. It's it's starting this week. If you want to learn about it, sign up for the newsletter at eastforest.org. We'll probably make a few posts on social media. Uh, essentially, it's the East Forest Council that we had implemented around some of the virtual ceremonies before, but I'm taking it into a larger form. It's another way that you can support the podcast and get exclusive content uh, I'll make some solo casts, some Radha Krishna roundtables, some live stream ceremonies that I will only do over on the Patreon itself and share with that crew. But you can also join the council that will be doing these monthly Zoom gatherings where we can all kind of gather and meet and walk this walk together. And there's other tiers of support and little gifts and things like that. So check it out. Go over to eastforce.org and you'll see a link on the front page down there on the bottom. Just scroll down on the homepage and you'll see some information about signing up or seeing if that feels like a way that you'd like to join the community and dive deeper. Um, Same place on that website, eastforce.org. You can hit the tour tab. You'll see some of the dates we're trying to put together and see if that looks interesting to you. Some retreats. There's actually some conversations about a possible new edition of a retreat in Mexico in April or May. So we're seeing if that can happen and and looking into all that stuff. So all that stuff is on the website. So thank you very much. Uh, It has snowed in a lot of places in this country, including here in Boise, Idaho. And there's probably over a foot of snow outside, which is, it feels nice. We've been getting some skiing, doing some saunas, getting lots of work done inside, and just being grateful for the silence and the peace that we can form and have amidst such a turbulent time. But that's really what it's all about, isn't it, folks? It's about uh, recognizing, cultivating the eye of the storm, that calm that you are and that you can be, and that's always there amidst the happenings and the becomings around us. So thank you for joining us and thank you for being a part of the community. For now, let's join into this conversation with Hallie Rose. Well, Hallie Rose, thank you for taking some time to chat. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good today. You know, it comes waves. (laughs) Where are you? I'm in Austin, Texas. Oh, everyone's moving to Austin, Texas. It's like, you must be a billionaire (laughs) (laughs) or on the way, you know, it's a, no, uh, not not quite yet, but, um, inside I feel like one. So that's a good start. (laughs) What, what is the special sauce there? What's the scene? Why, why Austin? 
Well, I think my answer is twofold. Um, one, what I'm seeing for everybody else is there's this depolarization of our coasts, I think, right. <laughs> like New York and LA, right? There's a mm -hmm. kind of these mass exoduses happening. And that's where I was before I was in Brooklyn. Me too. Wow. Cool. Where? Dumbo mostly for like okay. eight years. Yeah. Cool. Um, my apartment was in Clinton Hill. So I, I got mugged in Clinton Hill. Yeah. Oh, excellent. My first mugging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but what I'm feeling is it's actually really beautiful. And this is totally my theory coming from pure energetic intuition. But I feel like it's a necessary move the centralizing to the middle of our country, so to speak, from these poles is like a coming together of, of the extremes that we've had. And that's the way that I'm viewing it anyway on a spiritual level. I'm like, this is mm -hmm. really cool. There's kind of this new vortex happening here in Austin. Now, that's, you know, that's partly what I see. But my true answer is that I was in an ayahuasca ceremony in January 2020 and I was engaging with everything that wait 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 that's the future no January 2020 oh wait that'd be last year okay right like a year ago I mean, we're sorry about to go into <laughs> sorry well what is time right <laughs> what well, it's straight it's like it's possible it's like it's possible she's straight I up being like I in the future I'm creating I was in an ayahuasca ceremony and I'm like wow this is it's next level. <laughs> I am really good okay. at manifesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last year. Sorry to interrupt. You're in the ayahuasca ceremony. Yes. So January 2020, I'm in mm -hmm. Costa Rica. And I am sitting with ayahuasca for the 12th time last year. Mm -hmm. And I have this vision of sort of like a pop-up book, you know, like a children's pop-up book, and it's the New York City skyline. And it was kind of like, it, you, you know this because you've been in the, the medicine space, but it was a, it's like images mixing together. So it was kind of this image of like a book, but mixed with like a suitcase, and it was closing, and it was like the New York City skyline was somehow the essence of this, this closing object that was a book slash suitcase. And so the way that I, when I sit with the medicine, it's very conversational for me. And so there was a question of, you know, what am I seeing? Am I leaving New York? And there's sort of this inner muscle testing that happens and for me, it feels like when when the answer is a yes to something in the medicine space, it sort of feels like this golden fireworks in, in and around my heart space. And it was like, yes, like with excitement, you're leaving. And I felt bittersweet about that. And I wanted to resist it to some degree. I was like, no, I'm not leaving New York. And again, this is before kind of COVID really rained down on everything. But it was like, no, I don't, I don't want to leave New York. And it was just so clear. It was like, but you are. So, except. Well, yeah, when those kind of things come in ayahuasca, it was like, but it is. It's like, good luck resisting. Then it's just like basically torture. 
and to give in to the truth. Completely. So I said, okay, where does spirit have me going next? And it was like, Austin, Texas. And I think I, I think I burst out laughing in the ceremony because I had only been to Austin one time before. Very limited experience. Maybe spent a weekend here for a mastermind I was a part of, you know, through Aubrey Marcus. And otherwise really didn't know anything about this place and truly had no desire to be here, but it was just so clear. And there, there were even, you know, names of people coming through that I was meant to connect with and just kind of all these pieces about the next phases of the work for me. And so the rest of 2020 was sort of this epic hero's journey of me trying to get here. And it was mm -hmm. hard and I met all these obstacles and the virus is happening and I have this massive breakup that just guts me. And it, I finally arrived here on, on Halloween. So on October 31st and completed my move and entered into the next phase. So that's why I'm in Austin. Wow. Wow. And how is, do you enjoy Austin? I know it's a bit of a bubble inside this behemoth of Texas. I've been there a few times. It's a fairly big city. Uh, I always had this vision. I played South by Southwest in 2014. And for some reason, I thought Austin was smaller, maybe because I was just downtown. And then when I went back recently, like a year ago or something, I was like, damn, this is a, it's like, I think it's like what, 4 million people or something, three. It's a lot of people. It's a big city. Yeah, in my big. mind, my eyes spread out. Yeah. But I would imagine the quality of life is quite a bit higher than New York City. Just yeah. about everything is, you know. <laughs> you know this, you know, but I, I do have to say, you know, I love New York as at least the New York that I was living in, um, as this bustling hub for for the human experience, like both ends of the spectrum and just the, the size and scope of the differences in, you know, from the, the poverty to just the wealth and the art and the music and the basement scene in all the warehouses and just like the grit. And when I moved to New York, it was really because I wanted to write. And I thought, what a beautiful place to be immersed in story. So there's a part of my heart that aches for that. But I'll have to say, you know, Texas has so much space, space and the land and the sun. And I think that I'm moving into a new iteration of me where it requires intense grounding. And New York, you live there, you know, it's kind of like how much can you shove into your day and you're commuting and then you're multitasking and you're forgetting to eat and you're forgetting to breathe and everything's on the run. And as I think I have become more energetically sensitized over the past year, especially, I need a lot more alone time to keep this, this body, this vehicle, this mind healthy and, mm. and still. So I think the spaciousness that's here in Texas and the, in the community here in Austin is, is warranted. Well, I can understand that predilection. I mean, I went from New York City and went to other cities until I made my way to Boulder, Utah, which is 200 people and wow. nothing, nothing but space. <laughs> so, what called you uh, there? 
Uh, the land, I suppose. I mean, I went there in 2008 for a conference, and the three people who were on the bill, I was living in New York, were Dennis McKenna, Charles mm-hmm. Eisenstein, and Daniel Pinchbeck. Nice. And 2008, right? So this is, you know, pre-2012, and there's sort of a frenzy of, of new thought and energy at that time, uh, the financial collapse, uh, Occupy Wall Street. So mm-hmm. it's a very a pregnant time. And I Reality Sandwich put it on, which turned into a Volver, which I think still exists as an online magazine, but now it's Lucid News. Anyway, uh, I was just sort of just starting to open up to a lot of these ideas. And it was basically involved talks with those folks, hikes, and weirdos and psychedelics sort of, you know, <laughs> I, I was pretty in. I didn't have yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. But I called the person organizing at Brandy, who's now a friend of mine. And I was telling her, I was thinking of coming. I wasn't sure. Maybe we could do a barter or I could take some photographs. I was a photographer. And she's like, dude, just come. Just come. We'll figure it out. We'll put your photos up, whatever. Just come. And so I mm-hmm. bought a ticket, went out by myself and uh, fell in love with the landscape and kept going back after that over and over again and spending long periods of time there. And then uh, eventually moved. And so I'm in Boise, Idaho now. Uh, it's my girlfriend's place where I, I also live, but I sort of have two spots. And so I have a spot down there that's really just a fifth wheel trailer and a sauna on some <laughs> acreage. Perfect. Yeah. And what do you well. need? Yeah. <laughs> Great. And, You're all uh, set. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I do understand that desire. And I've always thought New York City is such an amazing international city that it would be a good thing for every American to live there for a year or two at least, especially when you're in your 20s and just try to figure it out and make it. And you don't have to stay, but that would be a great civil service to do. And I know it sounds like, well, what's that going to do for anybody else? It, do, I mean, it will toughen you up. It yeah. will, you'll figure things out about yourself and the world because it's so international and other people and other cultures and other races. And like, it's really good. Totally cultures you. The music, the food, the people, the moods, all of the unique jobs. I mean, you can walk into any place there and you just end up meeting people who run the most obscure, beautiful, cool things. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. So I guess we should just you could say a little bit about what you do and then I can segue into some other uh, areas here. But I think for some folks who aren't familiar with you, if you could just give just a little bit about your background. Sure. So what I do currently, because it's shifted pretty rapidly over the last five years, is about a year ago, I launched a podcast called The Thought Room. Mm -hmm. So I launched that down at Soltara Healing Center while I was living and working there, volunteering at this ayahuasca center for three months. And the inspiration for the podcast came in my first set of ayahuasca ceremonies where I was pretty clearly shown that the thing that I was doing needed to go on the back burner. And I'll get into that a little bit more, but it was kind of like, you're, you're moving into this space. Um, I resisted that for a while. I didn't want to speak. I didn't want to be in front. It was much uh, lower risk to just keep doing what I was doing. So I had to go through obviously a whole process with that, which I'm sure you understand in many ways. And so the thought room was birthed just about one year ago now, and Mm. that became my 
like hit the ground running full time thing, pouring everything into it, just trying to, to tune into my intuition and call in the people that needed to have their messages put out and just, just be the bridge for that. And you only do it in person, right? Which, yeah, I know. Tough thing to do these days. Very a, tough. Tough thing to do anytime because a lot of people you'd love to talk to, I'm sure, but they're far away. Right, like you. Which, But, you know, here's the thing about me. I, I will make things happen. You know, like I believe in getting these messages out so deeply that I will come to the people that that I want to tell their stories. It's that important to me. But I'll, I'll tell you the reason behind that. And, and I'm open to that changing the idea of maybe, you know, I do move to electronic interviews. But mm-hmm. again, this was kind of a direct guidance from ceremony. And what I understood is resonance, right? Sound. And when we can be in the same room with somebody, we can create this heart field coherence. And because of that, it's, it opens up new portals for deeper sharing. You know, it's like when you can really gaze into somebody's eyes, not through a screen, and you can share in the weighted heaviness of the moment of the pain that they're sharing. You can feel their breath. You can sense the room like its own ceremony space. Different things get shared. So part of the richness of the podcast is that, is is because I've had these conversations in the same room with people. And the the deep sharing, the crying, the immense pain that's been unearthed and the responses to that from listeners. You know, I got an email from a young man, I think he's like 21 or something the other week. And he said, you don't know me, but I want to thank you. And he said, you have no idea how many times you and I have cried together on your podcast. And I just thought, like, wow, that is one of the best compliments I have ever received. It makes me tear up just thinking about it now because there's so much suppression of emotion. And I think that's part of what I'm here to, the way in which I want to serve is showing people that the new normal can be all of our emotions being acceptable and being beautiful. So yes, for right now, that was the guidance. And, and, and on the same token, the other piece of that was when I'm editing my podcast, the, the guy who does the audio, I'm like, don't put any crazy filters or noise gates or anything. Don't crunch the voice too much because within our voices, there's code it's vibration. We're actually entraining each other all the time. You do this with your music. What do you That's mean crunch it? You mean you don't want them to like make it mm-hmm. sound better? Um, or like take away the artifacts of like, like the room noise? Like you can flatten or... it or you equalize it and you, you oh. remove some of the low tones or the high tones to make everything, you know, more equalized. Um, 
it takes out some of the some of the grit, some of the realness. So I, we're always very careful about, you know, sometimes you're in a room and someone's like got their air conditioner and you have to do some You know audio. what would be cool? I think it would be cool <laughs> is if you did them on a audio cassette. <laughs> It'd be cool. Vinyl you know, it's all like, only. Yeah, it's all like tape, you know, tape hiss. I think that'd be cool. Nobody does that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what another thing I want to get into is sort of about um, how we can sharpen the blade as a term in spiritual worlds, in this world of wellness, and what some of our blind spots are. Because I say this as a criticism, not of you specifically. I mean it because in, in essence, this is how we do the work better. Is by we understand like what are we maybe missing or what are the things that we could do better. Mm. And I know you also work with people one on one. And you, when you're hearing these stories in your podcast, are you what are you finding out there? Are some of the ways that either are co- is common common areas, common ground of things that people are experiencing or things that you feel like they're missing that maybe it relates to these times, what we're going through, and then we could get into that. So the question is, what are common things that people are experiencing? Like, what are, what am I seeing thematically when I'm working with people one-on-one? Yeah, do you see any common threads or blind spots? Also with the podcast, because I, f- I feel like you're saying people are telling stories, their stories in essence. I think it's hard to tell the truth. And I think that that comes from a place of we all just want to be loved right like at the Mm -hmm. core Mm -hmm. we want to be loved and also we've all been hurt there are varying levels of trauma you know and that word is thrown around way too much but there are different levels tiers you know you hear about capital t trauma lowercase t trauma We've all been hurt. And the way that it works is something happens to you or happens in your experience rather. So we don't disempower ourselves by saying this thing happened to me, right? So an event happened. You had an experience. You had a reaction. It felt unpleasant within your your feeling essence. (laughs) And usually this happens earlier on in our lives, say in childhood, So you did something, you were excited about something, you went to share it, and somebody squashed your light. Maybe not in a vindictive way, but your parents were busy, they didn't have time to look at your drawing, or you got one B on your report card and they said, why'd you get a B? Or, you know, you stepped out on stage and you you made a mistake the first time that you opened up your mouth and you felt embarrassed. And so the nervous system goes, don't want to experience that again. And it creates a program. And your entire life is programs. And that's what makes up the personality. And and a lot of people don't realize how much power we have over rewriting that program. So what I see is people that I work with interpreting things as, well, this is reality. These are the, this is the way things are, Mm -hmm. right? This is just how they pragmatically are, but that's only true because you have decided it. So I'm not saying it's easy to decide a new story, 
but it is within your power. It's a and, recognition of your role in in that process yes, as opposed and to And that no role. is that is step 1 that you know, it's not like there are like these neat little levels to awakening because all of that's BS anyway. Like it's this big messy journey that we have to just love the deliciousness of. But there's a plateau of where you can go in your personal growth until you take sovereignty over what's going on and you recognize that everything you're feeling is coming from within you, right? It's not and I talk about this sometimes, like there's a really great example from this book I love called Nonviolent Communication. And he gives a small example of, you know, you and I are supposed to meet for lunch. You're running late. You send me a text and you say, hey, Hallie, I'm so sorry. I'm going to be 15 minutes late. Now, if I'm already at the place where we're supposed to meet and I'm waiting for you and I've had, you know, I had expectation, then I'm pissed off. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's always late. This is unfair. I'm not though. I'm not usually late. I mean, it happens. <laughs> so, but but we'll take the same scenario and we'll say mm. that I was also running late. So you send me this text, and now instead of anger or frustration, I'm feeling relief. Why? Because well, you're I'm, always late. So I because, know that though. Because oh, I'm the center yeah. of my own melodrama, right? Yes. And now it behooves me like that you're you're running late. So it's uh -huh. in my benefit. So the actual event hasn't changed. It's an external event. It occurred. What changed? My reaction. So so there's this whole idea now of like canceling people and getting triggered. Like what is getting triggered? Getting triggered, in my opinion, is you did a thing, someone did a thing that shined the light on stuff, like some scars, like tension, trauma, stuff inside you and someone went here flashlight that's that's what getting triggered is and it's actually an invitation to slow everything down to breathe with with what's just come up to take responsibility for it as yours and decide what you want to do with it it's not hey that person triggered me they should change their behavior well, people don't even see it that way. They, they're actually masking it in that it's a danger. It's not even about the per – they don't even see that it's about them. They're like, oh, that is a public danger. That's uh, what I mean. That's it's why we have to shut it down. It's externalizing it. Yeah. Right? Yes. So that disempowers us innately. You give, some, you give your power away to somebody else when you say, you made me feel this way. Nobody can make you feel a way. You can feel a way in response to something that's occurred. But that's your choice. Again, I think I love the work of um, Michael Singer, who wrote uh, The Surrender Experiment and The Untethered Soul. And he talks about sitting outside and seeing a butterfly for the first time. The experience of butterfly. And butterfly comes in and butterflies this really gorgeously colorful, beautiful thing to behold. What does butterfly do? It elicits these like joyful, wondrous feelings and curiosity inside you. Okay, now you have a program about butterfly that you run every time you see butterfly. Different example is you're outside, same spot, you see a snake. You step on a snake, it tries to bite you. Now you have this program that you don't like snakes. And so now it's not just about snake. It's about every time you see a garden hose or a rope or anything that reminds you of snake, that could be a snake. 
And so you're you, you're cushioning your whole world of avoiding things that might remind car you. Car salesman, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right? And this happens all the time in a million different ways. It also has an epigenetic element where we're carrying, in essence, the traumas of our past, which has an evolutionary advantage. But mm-hmm. it also, we have essentially the baggage, it is we know now, of generations. And that's a way of learning, but mm-hmm. it's also like... You know, it gets screwed up inside a modern world where we don't need to be in fight or flight. But when we're looking at a computer screen, our eyes are darting around. But our brain is like, I'm familiar. Your eyes are darting around. There must be some danger. You know, and cortisol levels perhaps go up a bit. And these are things that make it unique to navigating life in modernity. That was not the same even just a few years ago, let alone 10 years ago, you know, largely when the iPhone came right. into existence. Talk about these massive shifts in in how we're messing with our brains and our bodies, our, our entire bodies, this whole being, this spacesuit that becomes you know, who we are. Yes. And victimhood is probably largely how we see the world because I think the mainstream thought is, I don't control the world, which I'm not saying you, you control it, but I don't even really influence it. Things are just happening mm-hmm. and I'm responding. Right. And that element that you're, you're touching on of the individual's choice and the recognition and perception uh, is really look at cognitive behavioral therapy. You mentioned before we started, you have a background in psychology. And so mm-hmm. that shows us quite clearly lots of research how your thoughts uh, precede your feelings and how you can influence them qu- quite dramatically uh, in quite simplistic ways by reprogramming different synapses essentially different pathways uh because pathways of pain they travel in familiar pathways mm-hmm. it's yeah. just sort of like this the like, this occam's razor is the easiest route so they yeah. just keep going down it so you have to just like well let's let's build a little bridge dam there so now it can go this way right. and then it just There's gets used to nerve, going that way nerves that fire together wire together right so when you rehearse these these thoughts, these same thoughts, even if you're not conscious, this is what's really important. Yeah. When people hear the word rehearse, they might think like, oh, I'm consciously rehearsing this. No. I say this on my podcast. This is part of the reason it's called the thought room. We have 68,000 thoughts a day. 98% of them are repeated from the day before. You are running a program. It's automatic. That's uncomfortable. But the gorgeous thing is if you can infuse your thoughts with what you want them to be, then once you gain a certain level of momentum, you're you're creating, you're manifesting what you want. And now you're free, right? But you have to change the program. And th- that can be a little bit difficult at first, you know, if you don't have a meditative practice, if you're not used to contemplation or waking mindfulness, if you're used to suffering a lot, you're going to have some attachment to that. Because it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to look at everything in your life and say, in some way, I'm responsible for this. You know, um, in that's some not, way. That's not, yeah, I mean, in you're in relationship way. to it for sure. Right. Uh, yeah, I think yes. that's more accurate. Yeah. Yeah, and and when you say like it, it's unconscious, and I would yeah, ninety nine percent of it's it's just happening all day, but it has this sort of effect of there is a calisthenic aspect of it. You are building these muscles of pathways. Totally. At the same time, you can consciously rehearse it in a different way. That's actually the way it is done. 
totally. The mindfulness is just bringing this like, no, I'm going, and it might feel like, well, this is absurd. It's not going to stick because I'm, I can't, I'm not fooling myself by just saying a different phrase. I'm like that actually is the way or yeah. writing it down is a very powerful way. And as we've seen uh, in, in ceremony, in, in times of uh, deep trance meditation, where you're sem- essentially getting into very receptive states for the more tender parts of your consciousness. Mm-hmm. And that's when you can plant those seeds more that really, that, you know, they stick better in the garden. Totally. And so to your point, this is what mantras are. This is what affirmations are, right? It's, it's that conscious reprogramming. And so, you know, what does that actually look like in practice? There's a lot of ways people can employ that. Um, my favorite way is a gratitude practice before bed and writing it down. And sometimes it's really hard if you're having a bad day where you're like, I'm not great. This happens to me. You know, I'm like, I, it's hard to find something I'm grateful for. And that makes you feel more shitty because you are like, wait, I know I have so many things to feel grateful for. Why am I struggling with this activity? Wait, I'm, I, oh, I should feel grateful. And then you go into that whole rabbit hole, that wormhole of like yeah, self-loathing. I'm a piece of shit for not right. feeling grateful. Right, like, look at all that you have. Why God you damn have it, so I am privilege. grateful. Right, right, right. So we, can, we have to watch that, right? That's where yeah. the mind wants to go. And so, no, it's like really dropping back into the question of what things occurred today that gave, that elicited a feeling within me that I enjoyed, right? Mm-hmm. What, what did I enjoy embodying today? Maybe it was, you know, a conversation that was deeply nourishing or a hug I shared or uh, savoring that meal or sitting in the sunshine for those five minutes. And like, this is the work of Joe Dispenza too. It's like, that em- that embodied empowered emotion is what's viscerally important to this process of retraining ourselves cuz you can have the thought and that's to your point of people saying well it's not going to work if i just like tell myself i am abundant i am abundant i am abundant and like don't feel it well that i mean you're kind of right but it does also start with there's a curve so at first you have to say the thing even if you don't necessarily feel it that fake it till you make it thing but eventually where we want to get to is feeling that those inner fireworks that I described, like what, where, and if you've been in the medicine space, you understand this, where you have a thought that lights all your cells up and you're like, ooh, it's almost like coming up on MDMA. You're like, oh yeah, okay, I'm here. I remember this feeling of gratitude. Yes. Okay. Like that's what we're kind of going for here with, with when people say embodiment. Yeah. And one thing I want to add to that is that I, I also don't personally feel like it's a destination of any kind of arrival that we, I don't want to, I know I wanted to transcend feeling like I was pushing something away. Mm. And as I was getting to know Ram Das through recording that a record with him a couple years ago, he kept saying this idea of, of like loving our dark thoughts or witnessing the show going by. And it was a real revelatory moment for me because it's not about, um, okay, I'm trying to ameliorate these negative thoughts and they're done or transcend my ego or whatever these ideas are. I find that quite problematic. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. That's part of you. It's part of the experience and it serves a role. Um, but how can you hold that 
those feelings with a different perspective, like that mm-hmm. sense of mindfulness. If you see it, and just by seeing it, it's like, well, what is that? What is this relationship? I'm able to like separate something in my own consciousness and witness myself in this self-reflective way, mm-hmm. and that energy of introspection, in essence, feels like the name of the game. And it doesn't have to mean that it results in something being suppressed. It's just something being loved, something yeah. being held. And that way, people can change their perspective on what it means to be on, quote, this path of trying to just essentially feel better. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't want to be putting out a message personally that's like, it's about, oh, it's, we're going to transcend that stuff or push it away. I'm like, good luck. You won't. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I certainly don't recommend pushing away the negative thoughts. And that's, it's, it's like, um, this happens a lot with the spiritual community of, of like spiritually bypassing ourselves, you know, and there's such an energetic subtlety here because, <clears throat> you know, I've, I've wrestled with many rounds of really deep depression in my life. And every time that friend comes to visit me, I feel like I understand the relationship a little bit more. And now I'm getting to the point where I don't fight it. I allow it in fullness or I learn how to. Almost like the Buddha inviting Mara to tea. It's this idea of you can sit with me. I see you. Teach me. But you may not stay. You know, I want to learn from you and then we'll move on because the universe moves on. Right? So so there's that line too. And I, I kind of wrote about this the other day. It's like, well, how do you know if you're, if you are bypassing yourself and just trying to wash your negative feelings with false positivity or wallowing in the, in the melodrama, like too much, like, where is that line? And the truth is, is, you know, because the inner voice, if you really get quiet, if you're experiencing negativity it doesn't sound like, okay, no, I got to be positive. I got to be, po- I'm going to focus on joy, focus on joy. I am abundant. It sounds like I really don't feel the best today. And my truth is that I'm also feeling shame around that, like I should be different. And that makes me sad. And I feel embarrassed that I'm here again. Like it's honest, like that voice who's in in the shit, you'll know because it's raw and it kind of hurts to just even speak about. But yet the moment that you admit to yourself that there's, that you're there, you're not fighting it anymore. There's a, there's an instantaneous energetic release where you feel like, oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. Yep. I'm just having a shit day and I'm allowed to be here. Yeah. We need to grieve too. Mm-hmm. It's like it's these these elements of the human experience that are so critical embedded in how we compost and feel all this stuff. Mm. Uh, and it, the world is 
has it does have a lot of messed up things going on. We are seeing a transmutation that involves a lot of death and destruction and suffering. Mm-hmm. And if you do open yourself up even a crack to that, it's immensely intense. Uh, and that exists and that's and that's okay to to feel that and it's like okay how how is my grieving of my my little role in this whole great picture uh there i would imagine there is some sadness about that and dis-ease about it and anxiety and in addition to perhaps some joy and excitement and all that stuff can coexist but depression that you brought up i mean man talk about a slippery little friend because that's, a, that's an interesting example you brought up because uh, I think it's not something that people even want to say like, hey, you can sit for tea because it's like it really feels like a rabbit hole. And that's sort of how it starts. It's like you start to go down this path and the deeper you get, the harder it is to get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's a tricky game. Because we're afraid. Hell yeah. And the, and the thing afraid is... afraid of dying, essentially, of yeah. like being eaten alive by all the other stuff perspective being completely gone. Yeah. And and you watch it happening and you think, how can I stop this? What can I do? You start manically grabbing for all of the routines or the things that worked before. Or maybe if I take CBD or maybe if I go to bed earlier or maybe if I exercise and then you're like, oh shit, none of this is working. And then, well, at least I'll speak from my perspective when I've gotten tired of all the grasping and all the pushing away and I'm just completely in anguish (laughs) that I've returned to that part of the washing machine cycle again in embarrassment. I just, I say, yeah, okay, Hal, we're here again. Yep. We're still human. We have not ascended. We've not, transcended this there's learning here I don't know what it is I don't feel it but I want to and that's the most important thing is that I want to and this was taught to me by someone who works who facilitates with ayahuasca and I I remember on my third ayahuasca ceremony I had come from I called my second second ceremony like being in the garden of eden like just understanding, seeing everything, really getting in a detached way how everything works. And getting that first deliverance of, okay, this is what your work is. Oh, wow. The moment I've been waiting for. Amazing. And then the next evening I went in. I'm like, okay, show me more. And it was like the most epic slow motion, someone going for a basketball dunk that just gets swatted. (laughs) It was like, no, (laughs) that was my third ceremony where I was just blindsided by suffering. And I had so much invested in my attachment to my painful stories of the past. I've said this before on other podcasts, but I've been, I've been keeping journals, diaries since 1998. So since I was eight years old, I have my writings. And a lot of my air quotes, mental rehearsals were telling the crazy things that happened to me, right? Again, 
in all their nitty gritty, painful, anguishing detail. I've been literally writing spells about my my world um, for for twenty years, and in this ceremony. I was shown the attachment to the suffering and, and all the writing I had written in all of those pages of those diaries, which are in this suitcase. Like there's over probably 40 to 50 journals. And it, it said, how much is the suffering worth to you? You know, are you ready to let it go? And somatically it was experienced like this black bowling ball in my gut. And it was just, I could not, I was like, yeah, I'll let it go. And I was talking to myself during the ceremony saying, it's okay, Hal, you can throw up. You can throw up. Let it go. Let it go. Mm-hmm. But that voice wasn't kind. That's not a kind voice. It was like, yeah, buddy, like that's that spiritual bypass. Like, it's all good. You're allowed to feel this. Go ahead. Feel it. Feel it. But I wasn't like, what's really here? What's really here? And what was really there was that I had built an identity around my suffering because being a survivor of the things that I lived through was what made me special, right? I was special now because I was a survivor. So that made me better than other people. On some deep level, that's what the ego was, was threaded in. And so to die to the suffering, to start to wipe the slate clean and just say, nope, I'm a human today in the present moment. That means I didn't do anything. My ego didn't like that. And I wasn't able to let go. In that ceremony, I could not let go. And I wrestled around dry heaving for four hours and cried and called out to every single God or name or friend or person that I knew. And then just came out of the medicine very non-ceremoniously and abruptly and felt horrible. And the next day, when I was supposed to go back into ceremony, I was in a panic. I was and I was in a such a grumpy mood. So if you were in my if you were in my group that week, I'm so sorry because that day I was such a curmudgeon and people were like, "How was your ceremony?" And I was just like, "Don't talk to me." <laughs> I was in a deep process and probably wanting to project my eminent suffering onto others as we do. And it was too much to handle. And finally, a few hours before ceremony, I got really real with myself and I was like, I need help. I need help. I don't think I can do this. And I'm scared. And I pulled aside the director at Soltara, his name's Scott or former director. And he, I said, can we, can we talk? And I explained to him what happened and the ugliness of what I experienced the night before and having to sit in this, what I call the bog of self-hatred. Like there was just this space that was like this dark, dank, kind of down south, weeping, willowy bog with skulls bobbing in the water. And, And I just had to sit there for what felt like eternity in the vision space in this tepid water, sitting with the fact that I hated myself. Mm. Even with all that I had, I hated myself. And there was a voice inside that was saying, you don't hate yourself, Hallie. Come on. You don't hate yourself. Look at all that you have. And it was like, no, I hate myself. 
And I was like, no. And I was fighting with it. It's like the mind was just going, going, going. And I couldn't believe that I hated myself. Like that was just shocking to me actually on some level. And it was like, you know, you'll sit here until you understand. And, and, and that was, it just felt like so long. And so anyway, back to the conversation with Scott, I said, I'm afraid to go in and I don't know how to let this go. I'm controlling and I don't know how to let this go. And he told me this beautiful story about one time in ceremony when he was wrestling with something and he kept checking in with it on the inner and saying, are you ready to let this go yet? And the answer was like, no. It's like, wait a little bit. Okay. Are you ready to let this go? No. Wait a little bit. Still suffering, suffering, suffering. And then are you ready to let this go? And he, he broke down in it and he said, I don't know, but I want to. And the moment he said that, he threw up. He had a massive purge because the wanting to, right? The, the beautiful, gorgeous, broken openness of that surrender moment of like, I don't even know how, but I want to is sometimes enough. Yeah, asking, turning yourself over to something larger than the individual sense of self for help, mm. even if it feels silly or what, what will that do? Mm. It opens something perhaps mm. uh, in your own mind, even your own heart of of not controlling everything or not having to figure it all out yourself for things that, that can't be figured out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Um, and did you ever get the bowling ball out? <laughs> I did. I yeah. did. And and that was my fourth ceremony, which was like the final of the week. Um, and this was my first set of ceremonies. And I had the most beautiful beautiful experience where I realized how long I had been blocking myself off from love. And I don't mean romantic love. I mean like the capital L love. And of course this, this stemmed from a lot of different things that had happened in in childhood and parents divorce and feelings of unsafety from a really young age and all the ways in which that curtailed into me trying to prove myself in various ways and becoming an overachiever and perfectionist and all these things. And love, love in general, that level of openness probably felt unsafe to me. But in this fourth ceremony, I experienced what I would call love in fullness for the very first time. And it came in so strong that it was almost painful. And if anyone's ever listened to, if you listen to the very first episode of my podcast, it's actually the only solo episode I've done so far. It was a, a letter that I wrote to an ex-lover after those first four sets of those first four ceremonies, because I realized what love was and what I was doing was not it was codependent. It was creating safety. And so I wrote this letter to him and 
when I came back, I tried to give him that letter. And he didn't want to receive it, which was really interesting to me. He gave it back. And I remember wanting to even control that situation and being like, but no, this is the one of the best things I've ever written. You, It's from my heart. You have to read it. But I, I didn't. I, I recognized that, again, if I was feeling, what was I wanting out of giving this man this letter? Like, what was my ego you, needing? It was some kind of ritual there of release. It know, was. Beyond, beyond giving sure. it to him. For but sure. Just, just the but, writing it. But... <clears throat> If someone's not going to accept your ritual, you have to find a way within yourself to give yourself the thing that you were you were hoping for. So what I did is I took that letter back and I hit record and I made the first episode of what is now my podcast. And that's where I put that energy and that's how I transmuted it. And in that letter, I talk about how it was like having having a ceiling on joy throughout my entire life and having a threshold on love and then just suddenly having that kind of glass ceiling punched out and what that felt like. And now having tasted that, I'm sure you know what that's like to a degree. You forget. We go through iterations of forgetting and remembering, but we never fully forget, I think. Once you've had that experience, you're like, okay, I'm different. Yeah, I think people know too whether they think they've had the experience or not. It's like it's it's the base substrate of our being that's a birthright of all of us. It's not something you have to learn or earn. It's just stripping away to what is just mm. this. Mm. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's there away. for everybody. I like that idea of stripping away. And I think that's really beautiful and important to underscore because I think a lot of times it feels overwhelming when we've fallen out of a good place with mood or we want to be on a different, you know, vibration or something. It's like, how do I get there? Like, what do I need to do to get there? But this idea that you presented of stripping away, it's something that I heard this morning. I, I love to listen to the the teachings of Abraham Jerry and Esther Hicks and the, the law of attraction. And they say that when we're trying to raise our vibration or attract or manifest things positively, what's more important in their view than injecting these positive thoughts, pasting that over everything, is to, to put a slowing down or a stopping to the negative thoughts right? So it's actually better. That's what meditation brings us to this gorgeous neutral space. And if you want to start having positive thoughts in that space, you can, but really just no mind is a really great place to be um, because you've stopped all negative attracting. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. And it's, it's very Zen. And, uh, and I think what makes sense is like the mind anyway, being Maya of illusion Mm -hmm. It's sort of, sort of like loosening the grip on, on all that, mm -hmm. that sort of fog that we often identify with. And if you're moving through that, you can feel just what is, and what is is what you are. Is there at the base of it all? I would hope is that sense of source of love of equanimity deep down there. But there's quite a show often going on on top of it. That's not without purpose and and meaning it's just not the whole it's not the game it's it's a game it's not uh 
It's the map, not the territory. Go into that more. I'm curious. Well, that's a phrase that I like, and that's uh, the idea that you mistake the map for the territory. Hmm. The idea hmm. that uh, it's like it's it's the icing on the cake. It's not the hmm. cake, hmm. and you can forget. You know, yeah. you get so lost in the details, so to speak. And most of life is we're lost in the details. Totally. <laughs> totally. So, and that's okay. But I mean, that's just what it is. We're just on the surface, literally on the surface of the ocean, but there's that whole ocean beneath us. That's mm-hmm. you too. Mm-hmm. And it's it can be useful to find ways to tap into the resources that it's just there, you know. So, but you could spend almost all of your time uh, cruising around on the surface where there's all these storms and stuff that you can't control, but it they happen and it's all happening, but underneath that, uh, there's the depths. Mm. There's the depths, and it just is. Mm-hmm. So, and it's your it's your right, and and it's it's it is you too, and so it's not something like someone's better because they've done ayahuasca, and yeah. those are heightened experiences that are quite valuable. Point is, it's like doesn't mean that anyone else doesn't have that same connective tissue. Totally. Totally. And and I like that you brought that up, you know, because this is also such a trend right now in this space of, you know, somewhat problematic at times, um, unintentional or like overuse of these medicines. And, you know, to your point, like we don't need that. It's a heightened state, but like there's many things that, you know, meditation creates an altered state. Um, going for a walk t- creates an altered state, listening to music, writing, these are all ways of shifting and you don't need to go pay thousands and thousands of dollars to go have some experience and probably also Instagram about it. No judgment if you do, because we're creatures who like to share. I get that. And and we also want to co-contribute to a, a meaningful and lovely life. So I can get that. We want to share our learnings with others, but to just really check where that learning is, where that desire to share is coming from and making sure it's coming from a place of, of integration. And, um, again, it's like going back to my story about me and the suffering and the suffering making me special and, and almost like wanting to be seen in that and having to let that go. It's, it's like, am I sharing this? Cause I want to be seen being the one who knows, or can right. I just I mean, can different I identities, just right? Know, right? Yeah. Can I just quietly know? And that's sacred law of silence, right? Like there are some things that there are some things from journeys or experiences that I will share publicly, and then there's some things that just will never be shared publicly because they're not and, for that. Yeah, and many things can't be shared. It's a sort of Lao Tzu, mm-hmm. and I've always felt that the times uh, if if someone had a powerful experience in the psychedelic space and and they it's really mostly shared just by some kind of look they're giving me in their eyes it's mm-hmm. like I, I feel it and that's i get i get it on that level and anything else is just that becomes the map it's the icing on the cake it's, yeah you can right. tell me some words about it and stuff but it's like the transmission is received <laughs> um well we should probably get to a rounding a corner and speaking of sharing and instagram stuff i saw that you uh are you transitioning away from instagram or um, anything like that i'm you know let's let's talk about this because i actually want to open open this up i saw some things about the changing 
I mean, this has been going on for a while, but just the the amount of information that these companies like Facebook, Instagram have access to within our phones. And, and it just seems like actually today, then December 20th, the next iteration of those rules go into effect of what they can kind of access through our phones. And I have not done enough research yet to fully I haven't actually read the document. I've read other people's interpretations of the document. And right. that's why I've asked around, like, hey, does anyone have a link to these permissions? Because I'm, like, trying to find it. So I think it's a little bit preliminary for me to say whether or not 100% I'm transitioning off of Instagram. But I can tell you that I have made plans to... I just got a new device. So on my old device... If I do continue to use Instagram, it will not be on my new device. And same with Facebook. It it won't be following me around where I go. And there will be a specific device that stays at home that gets used only for that purpose and that alone. Because, you know, it's it's difficult as, as a coach, as anyone who runs an online business that has spent a great deal of time, you know, pouring energy and attention into building a community this way, um, you know, they kind of got us. And um, we don't have to play into that. You absolutely can leave and start from scratch. And that's why I have the podcast and, and my newsletter and a lot of other ways where people can find me uncensored. And so what what I see going on here is definitely not in alignment with with my values, uh, all the fact checking, for example, I did a little poll on the thought room Instagram a few days ago. And I said, you know, question, do you feel safer or do you feel the need to have these fact checkers in order to help you discern legitimate question? Maybe some people out there want that. Maybe they're like, I don't have time to do research. I want fact-checking done on me. But at least in my audience, 100% of the people said, no, I trust myself to do this research and I don't trust the independence of the fact-checking, right? So it's it's just an interesting question. It's like, well, at what point did we in humanity, did we say, you know what? We no longer trust people to be intelligent enough now, this year especially, to be checking their own facts on the internet. Because <laughs> so they we, don't. I mean, they don't. And frankly, they don't realize beyond their conscious mind how it's affecting their unconscious mind. Like their ability to choose and decide is being manipulated in ways, moreover, that our Google results are different, things like that. It's not about fact yeah. checking. It's like we're all in our reality tunnels and we're like, am I? I didn't know that. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, yeah oh, I mean, it's really looking messy. things up. It's really messy right now, but I'm glad you're you're asking this question and bringing it up. And I would love to return the question to you. It's like, what do you make of all this, and what are your plans for this? Well, it's a big discussion. We've talked about it a lot on on this podcast about social media and uh, information sickness and and what we're putting in, and particularly in regards to technology. And uh, I think I've I've been saying this for years that it's a it's a very challenging bad situation in in how it's manipulating our minds and this great social experiment we're doing and i find it to be incredibly problematic um i i don't have a good answer on how people 
get through it because, um, you know, you can get rid of Instagram or Facebook on your phone. But if, if tracking is a concern, I mean, it's the greatest spy device ever invented that we right. pay for every month. I mean, there's a million other ways they're doing this. I mean, it goes to Google, to Apple, all the companies. I mean, data is worth a lot. So the only two ways it can change or, or, or be affected is that through your own behaviors and also through various kinds of legislation. I doubt the legislation will get very far. And so you can do your best to try to um, mitigate your own uses. But that's, those are individual choices. Mm-hmm. And I do think we are suffering from information sickness in general. Whatever kind, whether you're fact-checking or not, it's just, it's just too much uh, in our nervous systems. And I feel that. Mm-hmm. And this is part of our evolution, and it's messy right now. It's really messy. And I think it's very connected to how we're seeing a lot of, sh- frankly, shitty ideas out there and lazy thinking is because people aren't fully recognizing their role in how this stuff is, is changing and affecting their own opinions. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing it in full force during um, the pandemic or the pluralization and polarization. It's a global thing. Mm-hmm. So we have some work to do if we're going to thread the needle into any kind of collective future, because right now it's pushing us apart and we need to find ways of bringing it together. And that circles back to we're talking about you're saying people telling stories that builds bridges in a way because it shows our common ground as opposed to these surface level things that we think are so different mm-hmm. when they're probably not. Mm-hmm. So it does come down to the individual largely. And um, other than that, I'm hoping that things like the social dilemma, which has been getting a lot of traction, maybe could lead to people seeing it as like a threat to national security or thing. It's like, okay, we need to do some things. And I don't know if that would help or not, but it needs to happen from both sides. Right. For sure. Yeah. And the data thing is one thing. And then the censorship is another. And I think that's where, where I have a lot of issues because I think I I was sharing a screenshot of another friend's content that got censored and the fact checker fact checked my screenshot of my friend's content getting censored and it was just like there was no I don't even know how the bot did this because it it wasn't like a graphic or anything it was just her video that said it had been removed and it was asking people to use discernment and truth and something like that. On Instagram? On Instagram. And so then I screenshot it. I was like, wow, I can't believe this particular video got censored because I, I would make something uh-huh. similar. And then two two or three days after the story had dissolved in the 24-hour thing, like three days later, I got a warning from from Instagram saying, hey, our fact checkers you know, determined this post was false. And it was literally just, here's my friend's video that got censored. Wow. Like, wow, was my caption. It's the, the video itself, but but it was already removed or it something? Her, yeah, it was It was uh, something like I had screenshotted her story saying the thing I just posted got removed. And it was not anything like nothing, masks or vaccines or like nothing like that. What was and, it? I don't even remember now. Um, I wish I did. But I just remember posting... Neo-Nazi? There's probably some Neo-Nazi stuff. Or <laughs> QAnon. Are you a QAnon? Are you so, that? so yeah. but anyway, the point is, it fact-checked my 
screenshot of the fact check. Right. And you guys should have kept going with this to a meta. fractal of, I, I you know, you just keep going and then yeah. she does it and then you do it. And it's just like, maybe the AI smoke <laughs> comes out of its ears and it's like, I can't do this. I'm going to do that next time. Yeah. Um, so, but the point of all this was that it, it warned me and said, if, you know, accounts that repeatedly post things that are false mm. are at risk of getting showing up less often in the algorithms, something along those lines. <laughs> and we uh. recommend you delete this post. But the post was a story that had dissolved two and a half days ago. So there was like, really, where was I even deleting it from? And I didn't delete it. Cause I was like, what? There's no, I, this is, doesn't it's even kind of like corporate canceling, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, if you see these things as public utilities, I, I'm, I'm more for like, look, let people say what they need to say. I have less of a problem with like a flag on it, but it's like still let people see it. Totally. I mean, information right. is not that, it, but um, if you look at the perspective that it's a private company, they can do what they want, which I kind of feel that too. I'm, but uh, I don't like being in bed with any of the companies. Uh, that's why I think it's, I don't ever want to, I feel bad for my friends whose entire business is Instagram. Right. Because I'm like, what if they change it and you're you're screwed? Just on that, like, you don't have any power. Uh, yes. Th that's a scary situation for them. So I wouldn't want to get consciously into that situation. Uh, so I don't, I don't want to. That's and and it's just problematic, man. I don't want to feel like I'm I'm adding kindling to this fire. You know, it's right. uh, it's I feel troubled about it on many levels. And so, have you, you made know. any decisions about what you what you feel about remaining on? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I personally, I've had, a long time ago had to make decisions not to use it much at all, uh, like Facebook at all, Twitter at all, and Instagram only my page to do what I need to do. And I hire, I've Miranda helps me do all this stuff mm -hmm. so I, I give her content and look at the you know so I'm, I'm not like it's not me but i you know what i mean um but as far as me not being on the platform at all like as east forest right that i would say is in my future someday yes mm -hmm. um and it's right now it's more just sort of an end to a means of it's a very effective means for me to communicate with my community about events that they want to know about and some people aren't on the email list and i wish they were but uh, for now, I'd be shooting myself in the foot to make a living as far as like helping to sell tickets to events or online, whatever it is. Um, and but uh, I'm a big fan of an artist named Nils Fromm, and I noticed I that he dis he disappeared from Instagram, mm -hmm. not like not active, like disappeared. And I was like, hell yeah, hell yeah! Like mm -hmm. I can't wait till I'm just like fuck, just delete it. It's fine. Like the community's fine. We're all fine. But this thing, it won't be here. It doesn't right. need to be. It just doesn't need to be. It becomes irrelevant. That's what I look forward to is it's irrelevancy. Right. And I mean, that's kind of the growing pain. Like there, there has to be that point of that in order for the new iteration of everything, of what you're doing, of what we're, what community we're going to build next to go somewhere else. Um, so, you know, I, I had this conversation with somebody who has their business online yesterday and he was saying, you know, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to make money. And if I start over somewhere else, the engagement's going to go way down. And I said, well, is that true? Is that true? 
because the way the algorithms are already right now, there's a certain amount of people who are actively seeing your content and engaging with it. Who knows? Maybe the next place that you go, it's different. And you're actually, you, maybe you have fewer in number, but people are actually seeing what you're doing and they're engaging with it. <laughs> you know, like that's something to consider. I like Keith Jarrett, another artist. Uh, he doesn't have a website. Like or even a mailing list. So there's actually a mailing list that fans started where they send out emails that say, we think Keith is going to do a concert <laughs> in Cologne in December, we've heard. And everyone's like, okay. And that's the best you're going to get. That's you so know? Cool. Like, I love It's that. so badass. Yeah. And I'm like, that's really the ultimate goal. It's like, <laughs> you're just, you're nowhere. You're just, do, you're just doing your work yes, and you man. appear at places so and people want to, they got to so find you. Freedom. <laughs> He's the he's the dude. If you haven't, if you're mm -hmm. a Nils Fromm cool. fan, yeah, listen to Keith Jarrett, and particularly uh, the Cone concert. It's his most famous solo piano concert. But hey, we got to wrap this up. Um, so, how what is the best way for people to interact with you? Mm, great question. Well, What's your Instagram? No. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm still there, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, by the time this podcast goes out. Mm -hmm. My Instagram is uh, at Hallie underscore Rosebud. So H-A-L-L-I-E underscore Rosebud, like the flower. But, but you have a website, right? Website. Probably the website's yeah. going to be the best. So my websites are HallieRose.com. And that's for everything coaching programs. And you can sign up for my email list there. And then the podcast is The Thought Room. So it's thoughtroompodcast.com. It's available on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere that you get your podcasts. So that's probably the number one way. And I'm pretty active with my podcast community as you are as well and like to like to have my finger on the pulse of what, what they're doing. So that's definitely the way is go subscribe to the podcast and I give all my updates there. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing some time and some uh, thoughtful thoughts. It's nice to be able to meet you too. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a joy. Thank you, Hallie, for joining us. Check out her world, her podcast, and uh, I'm sure we'll all be crossing paths again. This song that you're hearing in the background is called Inner Flame, and it's actually from an old album called Elements that wasn't on the streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple at all. It was just in my band camp. It was something I made for a specific use. Um, it, it's a long story. I did like a soundtrack for a Tony G course he did with Udaya. Anyway, that is the that record is is the record of that soundtrack. Well, it now is on the streaming platforms as well. So if you want to check out the Elements album or this song, Inner Flame, it's basically an instrumental album that's kind of groovy and see if it works for you for different purposes but that's what you're hearing in the background now thank you for giving the podcast a review thanks for sharing it thanks for saying hi you can always do that at info at eastforest.org or just tag us on instagram east forest east forest music on facebook and twitter and youtube i believe is that as well but we'll continue doing what we do and sharing our gifts check out the patreon which is new at eastforest.org and see if you want to go diver, diving deeper with us, as it were, and we'll continue to do it all. All right, friends, you keep walking your walk. I will catch you next week. 
Don't take any shit, but if you do, do it with grace. 